Qu'est-ce que c'est ton vision, ton espoir pour les GR et pour la région c'est qu'ici, les gens là, ils ont besoin de la paix pour faire vraiment réaliser. We're hearing the words and music of Nigerian guitarist and singer-songwriter Bombino when asked about his hopes for Niger, which recently endured a political coup overthrowing the elected government. His answer was simple: he wants peace. In Niger, says Bombino, when you talk about people who don't even have water to drink. They have enough problems without having to go to war. What we need is peace. Banning air with you on Planet Afropop, along with my esteemed colleagues, Georges Collinet and Mukwai Wabesiolwe. You know, I always find it so interesting how artists are weaponized during times of war. Sometimes they're weaponized to support a war effort, or sometimes they're weaponized and used as scapegoats for war. Well, this is more or less what Bombino told me before his recent concert at the Brooklyn Bowl in New York. He very much resists that kind of manipulation of artists. For me, il faut pas avoir une position à travers ça ou ça parce que un artiste for me an artist cannot take one position or another because he has to speak to all Nigerians to all Africans later in our program today we're going to hear from an artist with a very different perspective Bobby Wine of Uganda not only takes strong political positions in his songs he actually ran for president in 2022 and won McQuay and I got to sit with him recently in New York before a screening of his film, The People's President, and we will talk about that a bit more. But to start us off, these are two kind of extremes. An artist who feels that art is for is for the heart and should not be the subject of politics and politicians. It's for the people, it's for unity. That's Bombino. And Bobby Wine, who completely devotes his artistic expression to changing the political reality in Uganda. What do you guys think? Well, changing the political landscape in Uganda is not easy. I remember having sh- shooting out there in a documentary and, uh, ooh, Museveni is, uh, is, is quite a challenge, quite a challenge. You know, these people, they have a glue that makes them stick to the country and they can't be moved. It's just amazing. Yes, and I think in Africa, it's, it's kind of complicated in terms of our ideas of what governances in terms of generational and I think Museveni is definitely coming from another generation. Mm-hmm. However, we have a sort of cultural idea in Africa that you cannot challenge elders. So it's quite unique what Bobby Wine is doing in the sense that he is so young and he's challenging the old guard in a sense. It's complicated because of all the identity politics sexual politics that's going on in the world right now. So my feeling is definitely let people deal with their own sovereignty in their own way and don't interfere. And that's very good. That's very good. I agree with you. McQuay, you talk about not wanting to challenge elders. You know, the, the generation of artists that we began with at Afropop Worldwide in the 80s and 90s we're still coming on in the afterglow of independence. And aside from not wanting to challenge elders, you didn't want to challenge the people who brought you freedom. And then, of course, there were some real exceptions to that, and they stand out, like Fela Kuti with Zombie, totally ridiculing army and police, and ended up getting him in a lot of trouble. Zombie. 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 Zombie.
from 1976, Fela and Nicolapokuti with the song Zombie. Macquarie, as we heard in the first episode of this podcast, your father was very much involved in those liberation struggles. And I wonder if that colors your perspective on how to critique these leaders when they go astray. Basically, that there shouldn't be interference. Yes, well, Joshua Simasiko Siolwe, my father, was definitely very influential in exposing me actually to different political systems, but particularly sort of exposing me to that generation, his generation of African leadership that brought independence to Africa. What do you think about artists like Fela, who stood up to those people and said, look, you're not doing it right. You're corrupt. You're stealing from the people. You may be the ones who brought us independence, but you're betraying us now. I mean, you know, that was Fela's thing. And he really was pretty unique in going that far. How do you feel about that? Well, I think he spoke the truth and he he was very good at speaking truth to power. He had no fear. I definitely think the art form of a performer originally was part of a royal court system in many countries and in many kingdoms in Africa. So the griot or the court historian is a very important figure. Fela understood that that's his purpose is that he serves his community. So that's one perspective, which is what I think Bobby Wine is sort of leaning into. It's critical. I mean, it happened in the United States in the 1960s, the civil rights movement. There emerged this huge sort of protest performance style in music and fashion and everything. And the same thing happened in South Africa during apartheid, where you had musicians and artists and actors who used their platform and their skills to talk about what was happening in Southern Africa. I mean, the situation in South Africa against apartheid and the situation in any other place, by the way, where there's a leader that's changing constitutions and and consolidating their power, those are still corruptions. So I still think artists should respond to those types of tensions because it actually affects their life and it affects their future and their family's future. And just to talk about those early artists during, you know, just after independence in Southern Africa, many came from South Africa, actually, that wasn't even independent at the time. But they were actually singing the songs that we should have been singing as well. Huma Sakela was that artist who decided that he is going to tell the story of South Africa and bring back Nelson Mandela was this like rallying call that still resonates in my heart. I want to see him walking hand in hand with 
That's Hugh Masekela with his 1987 hit, Bring Him Back Home, urging the release of Nelson Mandela, a wish that was soon granted. George, you also knew Hugh Masekela quite well. Oh, yes. The two of us, we had a good time together. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you did. Let's just talk about his politics, though. I mean, you know, did you ever uh, get into that with him? No, because... When he was not on stage, he was very quiet. I mean, with me anyway, we used to talk about having a good time. It's only when I went to a Shabin in Johannesburg and he was ferocious on stage there. <laughs> Boy, he was just amazing. And I was saying, oh, we're going to have a, a problem here because the secret police at the time was really unbelievable. What year are we talking about here? It was in the 80s, yeah, in the 80s. That was during total onslaught. That was very tough time in Southern African history. And plus, you know, you never knew who was the bad guy. It was either you were attacked either by the white guys or by the bandits. I remember going back to my hotel. I said, well, can I have a taxi or something? No, no, George, I'm, I'm giving you my driver. And I know why, because I almost got killed that day. We're driving up on that road there, and he's going faster and faster. I said, what the hell is wrong with you, guy? Do you want to crash? And he said, look behind you. There was a car following us, but I mean, ready to ram us. Wow. Nigerian Afrobeat star Wizkid, that's Caro, classic feel-good song of the genre. Just to get back to the similarities between Fela and Bobby Wine, because I think Fela did have ambitions to be the president. Yes, yes. I don't know what kind of a president he would have been, but... (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) What about this idea of musicians feeling pressured to be political when they don't want to, which is kind of where we started with Bambino? Well, yeah, there's definitely some musicians who, who don't think about politics, who don't think about anything outside of making music and being successful. There are some artists like that, and that's great, you know? This really resonates in Nigeria, which has any number of issues with political corruption, police violence. I mean, where do you start? You know, oil company buying off politicians and the destruction of the environment in the Delta. There are so many issues that are so compelling, and they're all the kinds of things that Fela would have talked about and that his sons, Sheun and Femi, talk about. And yet, you have this huge genre of music that takes its name from Fela, Afrobeats with an S, and rarely do you hear that kind of sentiment expressed in any song. And... I wonder, we've asked this question when we went to Nigeria in 2017, and the answer we typically got and have gotten since is that, hey, that's not what people want. We're entertainers, you know, we're, we're here to make uplift people's lives. They don't need to be reminded of all their troubles. And it's kind of a paradox that at the same time as they're showing this incredible allegiance to Fela, they're really taking a very different tack in terms of their musical approach. 
And you do have to wonder how much of that has to do with the business model of today, which is all about sponsorships, government gigs, all these connected people backing artists rather than the people who actually consume their music backing them. What do you think about that? Wow, you've opened a can of worms there for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We saw a lot of that during the Mobutu era. Even Foko was a Mobutu East. But from time to time, he would say, hey, wait a minute, enough is enough. Hey, let's stop that. And then he would get chastised and uh, say, hey, don't you do it again, okay? Here, take some money and uh, just relax about all this. And I've seen that also during the Bongo era in Gabon. And maybe that's why the government, Bongo's government was primarily made up of musicians and, you know, the ambassadors were musicians, they were cutting records, the ministers, quite amazing. I mean, even you see the son say, make some noise, make some noise. <laughs> yeah, right. His recent plea for help. Right. I think, I mean, today, artists in Africa, it's very different to scenario than what happened 30, 40, 50 years ago, in the sense that the music industry was very young and I mean, you gravitate to people who are going to support you. And I think musicians in Africa recognize that the people with the real power are things like permanent secretaries and ministers and stuff like that. So you're going to cozy up to them to be able to get anywhere. But sometimes not. I mean, the internet has really opened things up where I think people are finding alliances and, and support outside of their countries. Sure. But the idea of actually having musicians in your cabinet or buying musicians, recording studios and things like that, that's one approach that what's happening now with these company sponsorships is potentially just a more roundabout way to get to the same objective. But you're right, McQuay, about the internet. Absolutely, that is opening up new possibilities. But I think it's clear that this whole dynamic of political machinations and the role of artists, especially musicians, in shaping public opinion is in transition. And we don't really know where it's going, but it's something we definitely need to keep an eye on. Yeah, I really like what you were saying in terms of this idea that musicians really they sometimes they even set the tone, you know, in terms of how these things turn out. We know that because I think the anti-apartheid movement showed us the power of music and the power of an artist in transforming people's lives and, and, and their understanding about a problem. So it's really great to see people like Bobby Wine come out and say, you know, this is who I am and this is what I want to challenge and I'm going to do it through music. Well, that brings to mind my uh, longtime association with Thomas Mapfumo from Zimbabwe, who I spent 20 years writing a book about lion songs, if you're interested. He is a really interesting hybrid of the two because he wasn't really a political singer. What I mean by that is that he sang a lot of songs that were not about politics, that were about culture and interfamily relationships and youth and growing up. You know, it wasn't all politics. But his songs in the 70s were very much aimed at rallying the independence fighters in Mozambique and Zambia to fight against the Smith regime. And then throughout the 80s, after Mugabe came to power, he sang really social songs. It wasn't until 1987, after the, the Willowgate scandal, where it was revealed that all these ministers had been getting given Mercedes Benzes and BMWs, or yes. BMWs it was, right? And, and selling them off and enriching themselves, that he sang the song Corruption, which was another kind of landmark song in terms of 
a loyal, patriotic African major artist pointing the finger at not just a black leader, but a hero of the liberation struggle and saying, you are corrupt. I was bold. Boy. Mafumo and the Black Sun Limited with Corruption. Now we're going to move on to our interview with Bobby Wine. McQuay? Yeah, it was just such a pleasure and so interesting to meet Bobby Wine. And just looking at his eyes and his energy, this is definitely a man who doesn't sleep very much. Um, and my only concern is that I hope that whoever is supporting him in all of what he does is on the right side of history because we don't want a situation where we're continuing to have interruption in terms of African sovereignty from outside of Africa. And of course, that's very much the way his enemies wish to portray him, as you'll hear in the interview. So just a couple of things about this interview. It took place in Central Park, New York, City Park, summer stage presentation of the film, documentary film, Bobby Wine, The People's President. And there was a performance before the film of Bobby Wine playing with, as you'll hear in the interview, a band that he had just met. But it was a great performance, wasn't it, McQuay? Yeah, it was lively. It was colorful. It was inspiring, actually. And then we got to sit with him. You'll hear McQuay's voice in the background at a few points in the interview. <laughs> just so you understand, I started out by talking to him about Thomas Malfumo, the story that I just uh, summarized. And he... He wasn't really familiar with it, which kind of surprised me, but it's probably a generational thing. But I make a couple of references to that during the interview. So without further ado, let's hear from Bobby Wine. This is a message to the government, government. expressing what's exactly on the people's mind.
Haru wa lida guru We are fighting for freedom I say waki so masaka I watched this film the other night and wow, man, that is an amazing piece of work. It really deepened my knowledge and impression of you. But I want to start because we're really all about music. I just want to ask you about your really early life, like how you became a musician in the first place before you became Bobby Wine. How did I become a musician? I don't know. I was born into this. I was born to a family of many children. My father had 35 children. Really? My mother had 10. I'm not among the elders. I'm among the middle children. I was born in 82 in the middle of the war. And uh, when I was growing up, there was a choir at, at home, uh, a choir that was being hired for funerals, for weddings and all that. It was like more like the African Jackson 5. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only that it was rural Africa. But when I was growing up, the choirs at home were singing hymns, religious hymns. But I grew up in a time of Michael Jackson, in a time of Bob Marley. Sure. And what inspired me was different. I didn't want to be religious. I wanted to sing like the Jamaicans did. In any case, their lyrics and their videos represented my situation. And I thought it was cool to be like them. I joined music from school and uh, it was over time that the talent grew. I realized that I wanted to pursue a career as a music man at a younger age. I first studied political science and anthropology at university for my first two years until I realized that uh, I wanted to study something that related to me so much. And by that time, my mom had passed away, so I was making decisions myself. So I made a decision. I dumped uh, my old course, and I went studied music, dance, and drama. And I went ahead with what I'm doing. And that's where you met your wife, as we see. Yeah, that's, that's where I met my wife. I was cast in a play, and uh, I met this beautiful angel. Yeah. And I've never gained my consciousness up to now. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. beautiful. I've never recovered. <laughs> now, your parents passed when you were very young. How did that happen? I wasn't very young. I was 17 oh. when my mother passed. Of course, I was mommy's boy. Up to now, I've never gotten used yeah. to it. Um, my dad, yeah, I was a busy guy. He had various wives, so... I had different mothers. Today, my surviving mothers are two. Oh, because they were his other, but he died. No, my father died eight years ago, but my other mothers are still there. Uh -huh. Like I told you, I grew up in a polygamous family. Yeah, sure. 35 children, but we all knew each other by name and by birthday. There was so much love, African kind of love. And I still treat them like my mothers and all my brothers and sisters. Here you call them half-brothers and sisters. We call them brothers and sisters, yeah. How did you start to become a professional musician? You know, the story in the film is so amazing of your engagement with social reality and politics, politics in particular. You know, there have been so many musicians who've gone into politics. Yusindor was culture minister and Gilberto Gil in Brazil and there were other examples. Fela thought he would be president. But you've really done it. You got elected. But yeah. before that happened, how did your career as a musician start? Uh, my career started out like all other careers. I could do other things, but 
music one was playing and was creating a social voice. I felt like I had something to say so much. And I could only speak that through music. So I got into music to have a voice, to have uh, a standing in society, and it did for me. Uh, but initially I was thinking about the usual things, ghetto and how we are bad and about the girls and the cars. But as time passed, I became more responsible, seeing about social issues. But my turning point was when I was around 25 at the height of my musical career, so successful, so rich that I had the latest Escalade Cadillac with spinning wheels and I pulled over in a nightclub and all the girls were looking at me. While all the girls were looking at me, there was this one young man around my age who was working with security. He walked to me because no girl was looking at him and pulled me out of car, slapped me. I was about to punch him, then he pulled a gun and put it on my face. Slapped me some more and asked me, why the hell are you showing off? Don't you know that this country has owners? I didn't have anything to do because he had a gun. And even when I went to police to report to him, I realized that he was the son of one of the high-ranking soldiers. So for me, that was a turning point. I didn't even feel sorry for myself. I felt guilty because that had been happening to so many people, but I'd been silent or complacent. Now it had happened to me. It is then that I changed my music from entertainment to edutainment. I started addressing all the injustices, the land grab and everything, but that was only talking about them. Now, after about 10 years of doing that, I realized that I had to do more than just talking about the issues. And I said, if parliament cannot come to the ghetto, the ghetto will go to parliament. Mm. Let me understand the timing here. The moment when that soldier did that to you, what year was that? That was around 2005. So well into the Musvani years. And you were elected to parliament which year? Yes, I was elected to parliament 2017. I was running against Museveni's candidate and the main opposition candidate. Freeway race. I got 80% of the vote. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That was very telling. One of the most powerful moments in that film is uh, when you talk about how much you admired Museveni in the beginning and how he talked so much sense and how he inspired you and how you learned things from him and how sort of painful it was in a way to see what had become of him, which is very similar to Thomas's experience with Mugabe um, because he ended up 
being a great critic yeah. of Mugabe, and to the point where the, it was the ZANU PF party that forced him to leave. Yeah. So, talk to me a little bit about that. What was your impression of Museveni in the beginning? What was it about it, him that impressed you? He spoke the truth, and he walked the talk when he was younger. He said every right thing that we needed to hear. No wonder our parents were convinced to go and many of them died defending him. He spoke the right things. He's quoted to have said the problem with Africa generally and the problem with Uganda in particular are the leaders that overstand power. Nobody has diagnosed the problem better than Museveni. You know, he went to the bush fighting corruption, fighting extrajudicial killings, fighting vote rigging. He was so apt. It's just frustrating that he turned out to do the same thing. So to ask the question many asked about Mugabe, there's a film called this, What Happened? Yeah, what happened, what happened? I would want to know what happened to Museveni, but I can figure out now that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Museveni was corrupted with power. He became insulated from reality. He only hears what he wants to hear. Here's a sort of a philosophical question. You know, when you were running for president, there was a chance that you could have won. I actually won. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> oh, geez. And maybe someday you will be president. Does it worry you at all that you might also be yes. subject to that? Talk about that. Yes, it worries me a great deal. I would hate to change from the man I am today. And I'm worried because I know it's possible. That is why my friends and I always want to build institutions that will hold us accountable. That is why I tell people that I am not going to liberate you. We must liberate ourselves as a group so that none of us ever rises up one day to claim this, to say, oh, I liberated you, so you should be answerable to me. No. We must rise as a whole. If we together defeat the dictator. That means we can defeat anybody else, including myself, if anybody, any one of us ever turns around to become the person that he or she was fighting. That's brilliant, thank you. The film ends about two years ago. What's been happening in these years since then? Crazy stuff. As we speak right now, there's somebody that's been abducted today abductions, what you saw in the film is still going on right now. Still going on. Extrajudicial killings. Women are picked by soldiers in national military uniform and are raped by the same soldiers as a way to torture and intimidate them. Men are picked by soldiers and they are raped as a way to crush their ego to intimidate them. People get killed extrajudicially and the military and police brags about that. So the crackdown continues. And what is your life like in that context? Well, I always think it's selfish to talk about my life, especially that I'm the center of focus, therefore I'm protected. Every time they arrest me, they just beat me in the van when there's no camera, but they don't even detain me long. They drop me at my house and arrest and detain everybody else. So I always feel shy to talk about my own plight. But now that you ask, I'll tell you that I'm just as unsafe as everybody else. 
Um, I try as much as possible to keep my children out of danger. Um, my son was being targeted at school and I was able to get him out of the country. How old are your kids now? My eldest son is 17 and my youngest daughter is eight. The gentleman you had on stage with you tonight, tell me about him. Well, I had uh, my friend and comrade, he's called Nubian Lee, he's my musical partner. We sing together, he's my closest friend. And he's the one that seconded me to run for president. For that reason, he spent seven months in jail. Yeah, he's Ugandan. Nubian Lee. Yes, like Bruce Lee. <laughs> but, but he's a Nubian. Nubian Lee. Lee. Yeah. <laughs> there was a very nice performance. This band, you just met them? Or these? I met somebody? the band yesterday. Brilliant. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, they did a good job. That guitarist, I play guitar yeah. myself. Oh. He had those Congolese licks down very nicely. <laughs> yeah. So, have you just arrived here now? To I got here stand? yesterday. I was in LA on Tuesday. We premiered it, I'm here, and I'll be going um, to Boston, San Francisco, and uh, Washington. And then home. And then home, yeah. yeah. Back home, I am followed 24-7 by the military and police, by security operatives. I cannot go anywhere unfollowed. If I go to a place that has people, uh, orders are gonna be given and disperse them, including church. In church. Mm -hmm. So what do you see as your future? What do you imagine? I mean, even in your most optimistic moments. In my most pessimistic moments, I'll say, I imagine them eliminating me, shooting me or poisoning me or whatever. But it doesn't matter. That's why I'm trying to do as much as I can while I'm still at large. What about your optimistic? My optimistic, <laughs> yeah, my optimistic view is that we shall win. We refuse to give up because we know we shall win. We shall win. We shall be free one day. Even the soldiers that are oppressing us are going to join us. One day, the people of Uganda are going to come together and the international community will stop sponsoring this, I know. One day. One day, we shall be able to appeal to America's moral fiber one day. One day I believe the General Seven will not be able to blackmail the international community and they rise to the occasion and say, we are not gonna be part of this anymore. There's a point in the Bobby Wine documentary when he's a member of parliament and they're having a vote on a change to the constitutional age limit for presidential candidates that would allow the aging Museveni to run for another term. Bobby Wine's speech in the parliament is powerful, but the vote is overwhelmingly in support of Museveni. And this, of course, is the same parliament that recently passed the 2023 anti-homosexuality bill. I asked Bobby Wine about both of these issues. 
I found those scenes in the parliament so interesting to watch. I mean, you spoke so well, you know, I was thinking, oh, I didn't actually know that the vote turned out that lopsidedly about the age limit. It's shocking and powerful. And I realized that that's the same parliament, more or less, that just passed this really uh, dark anti-gay law. Yeah. And... Um, and I just wonder where that comes from. You know, I, I've thought about this subject a lot. I've talked with Thomas about it because it was mm -hmm. a big deal with Mugabe in the mm -hmm. 90s, you know. And it was a use as a political, you know, kind oh, of yeah. rallying oh, yeah. thing. But, you know, my own thought about it is that different kinds of gender relationships have existed in all over the world since time and memoriam. Okay. The thing that was right. really introduced to Africa was the fear of it by the British because they were so threatened by it. And that's what happened in Zimbabwe. And it's, of course, being very much reinforced now by these American evangelists who are trying to do in Africa yeah. what they could not accomplish in America. Yeah. But why does that motivate someone like Museveni to actually create a bill like that? And what's behind that? I'll tell you that uh, that bill is actually targeting the opposition, including myself. Whenever Museveni loses it and he has no argument, he opts for that. He brought it in 2014. He has brought it again, knowing the conservativeness of our people and all that. So that law was brought to target the opposition, myself including. He has said it, and like you've watched in the video, he wants to tag me as an agent of the West right. and as a person being sponsored by homosexuals. So when he brought that law, he's trying to use it to curtail us, either arrest me, imprison me, and block me from challenging him in any election. You know, that's why everything that I say about it can be used against me, you know? Got it. You know, one of the things that we've covered from a musical angle in Uganda is the Niege Niege Festival, yeah, yeah. which is really interesting. I've always wanted to go and, and visit that place. We had a whole program from the villa, I guess it's called. What's your impression of that? And that seems like such a forward-looking kind of progressive, open cultural movement. Entertainment is entertainment, and uh, I am for all manner of entertainment and freedom. But of course, I'll tell you that anything that does not help General Museveni prolong his stay in power is not going to be allowed, no matter so, how beneficial. So you feel that even they have somehow been tolerated, they must have had to make some concessions? I of don't know. Of course, of course, really? of course. Anything that threatens General Museveni, even though indirectly, is not going to be tolerated. It's funny, you know, the clips of him in that film he seems so kind of weak, really. I mean, he doesn't really speak very strongly, but I guess that's the way he talks to the press. Just keeps it very low key, bland. You know? He's actually weak. He is actually weak. He is weak. He's a scared man. He's a weak man. Well, I guess we have to stop here, but I thank you so much, man. Thank you really, for having me, man. Really a pleasure to talk to you, man. I appreciate, honor, man. I say. Appreciate yeah. Keep going. Thank you. I'm very glad. I can see your sweat and the tears in your eyes. Everything shows you want to give up, and I can feel your pain and your grief and your fears and all your frustrations. But you got to be strong. Never let your troubles knock you and keep you down. You got to rise up. Think about tomorrow and. 
look beyond your fears There are days when the sky's not blue And everything is a sign of doom Trust in God and believe in Him Trust in God and believe in Him Chokowa, one day everything is gonna be fine Everything's gonna be fine Someday everything will be alright One day everything is gonna be fine from Uganda via Central Park, New York, that is the great Bobby Wine. You know, George, the most interesting part of that interview to me was when he says in the film how much he admired Museveni when he started. And I said, well, what happened, you know? A lot of people did. A lot of people did, actually. And he says, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so on the spur of the moment, I said, are you worried this could happen to you? And he says, absolutely, I'm worried. I'm terrified that if, if I become president, I could be corrupted like that. And that's why I'm so interested in building institutions. I thought that was a very interesting answer. Mm, yes, definitely. Having been in some of those circles that maybe Bobby Wine has been in, you know, those international geopolitical circles, I myself have caught myself, power is intoxicating. And I definitely step back from it when I'm confronted with an opportunity to be in a powerful position. That's just me. As an artist, I'd rather step away from it than, than walk into it. George, do you ever experience that as the host of Afropop Worldwide? I mean, being in that august position of power, has that ever kind of gotten into your head a bit, George? I... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. A lot of people were trying to use me to help out all the powerful people, you know, at one point, everybody was said, oh, he's, here's the corrupt friend here. Uh, because uh, they expected me to brighten their image. And I would laugh. I would laugh it out. And it worked. That's how it worked. It worked even better because I would laugh the things out and would get them to actually laugh with me. That was the best part. It's interesting. I mean, you actually have been in that position where, where powerful people are trying to manipulate you. You've experienced it firsthand. Yes, indeed. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The big guys. Well, we should mention in the wake of this interview, Bobby Wine was traveling around the world with this film. And when he returned to Uganda just recently, he was immediately put under house arrest, which probably was no surprise to him because he's been there many times. So we will continue to watch that story as it unfolds, right? Definitely. And the timing, though, this is the, the issue, is the timing, the recent sort of clashes between the Ugandan government and the U.S. government related to homosexuality and this uh, homosexual bill that Uganda recently passed. So just the combination of those things of Bobby being arrested as well as the clash between the State Department and, and the Ugandan government, I just think the timing is quite interesting. Well, thanks a lot, folks, for tuning into another edition of Planet Afropop. In our next edition, we're going to focus on Brazil with some very interesting interviews, Margaret Menezes, Emicida, and Carlinos Brown. And we'll hear new music from Bixiga Sesente, a really hot Afrobeat band from Brazil. Planet 
Planet Afropop is a production of World Music Productions, and support for Planet Afropop comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. Our founder and executive producer is Sean Barlow. Our lead podcast producer is Banning Air. Our chief audio engineer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering for this edition by Banning Air at Lion Song Studios in Middletown, Connecticut. Our director of development and co-host is Mukwai Wabeisi. Your way, Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of new media is Sevian Biggs. And I'm Georges Collinet. And I'm Banning Air. And I'm Mukwai Wabeisi. Your way. Until next time, ici à l'info. Ciao. Au Wiedersehen. Au Wiedersehen. <laughs>